So this month we are starting our new theme on the book of Judges. Have you heard much preaching on the book of Judges before, friends? No, not really. Uh, I'm looking at Barry here. It's a tricky book, isn't it? Three times in 40 years, my friend. Um, so this is, this is my third time preaching it in 15 years. So there you go. So it's not, it's not one that we normally hit upon. And it's, it's tricky in the 21st century to preach from this because so many of the themes rile up against our modern ideas of justice and what is right and what is wrong. We also read into this book with a strong Western mindset, don't we? So we read in there and we read that the Israelites came and they took this city, right? And so we imagine a city, maybe like Brisbane, of, you know, a million, million and a half people. And we think, oh my goodness, that is a terrible thing. But no, you you don't think about it like that. Don't even think about a small town. A city in this context is merely a walled encampment like a fortress, And what is being described here is that, yes, people were living there. And yes, this great brutality took place. And it's very um, lamentable. But it had to take place because it was a stronghold. I want you to say that word for me, stronghold. And what we see in the story of Judges is strongholds within the community that are taken down. Do you understand? That That is the context we need to come at this from. Because there are strongholds even in the community today. Some of these strongholds are ideas and ideologies. And these, we need to be prepared to confront them. In some cases, we need to take them down. Some of these ideologies fly in the face of our Christian values, but also our ideas of justice and God's love. And so these are things that we need to be bold, that we need to be prepared for and equipped to confront. And so... That is the message of Judges that I want to bring for you with our missional interpretation so that we can understand this book within the context of what God may be asking us to do in reclaiming the land for Jesus. Initially, my sermon illustration was going to go into the meaning of all of these names and how it was all about you know, demystifying and bringing down what it was all going to be. But I thought to myself, no. Instead, I'm going to tell you the meaning of Pimpama. Do you know the meaning of Pimpama? It is the place of the bimbim. That's the soldier bird that you see out here. We had some friends um, <coughs> who are part of the Ugambe, um, Ugambe Historical Center over here, relatives of Yvonne. And they told me, they pointed to the bird. It was here. Now, I said to them, I said, that bird is my friend. Because when I come and I sit here in the office, you know what that bird does? He comes in. And the the ladies from the office will tell you. The bird, the little soldier bird comes in. This, This is his place. He knows it. He owns the whole place. And he comes in and he looks at you. What are you doing here? Are you welcome here? Is this your place? And I think we need to remember that. I think we need to understand that this place has got this, its own name and its own culture and its own history. And within that, there is an understanding for us to work alongside that and connect with that. That's why I say he's my friend. Because I don't feel like as if he's asked me to leave. 
I don't feel like that little bird comes along and treats me as an intruder. Instead, I feel that he comes along to welcome us. And when I see the kids and some of the ladies giving him and his friends bread of a Sunday morning, I'm reminded of the fact that this is God's place. And maybe he gave it first to the bird, but now it's for us as well. Are you with me? This is the mindset I want for us to have. This is God's place. All of this. And we're just reclaiming it for Jesus. And we're reclaiming it in the name of his justice, in the name of his love, in the name of his compassion. So that when people drive through here, those who are of a spiritual nature will sense there is something different in the spirit. Will sense a connection with something that is going on here. That this place is an indwelling place of the Holy Spirit and there is something good here that they want and they want to come back and be a part of. Do you hear me, church? That's a big part of what I hope this afternoon will be about in my induction. So with that in mind, I invite you to bow your heads and let's invite the Holy Spirit to be in this place. God, we thank you for this time and we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We praise you that you speak to us through an ancient text such as this and that we can learn from you and grow in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, my, um, my clicker doesn't seem to be working. Let me try again. There we go. Beautiful. So what happened in Judges 1? The Lord was with the men of Judah and they took possession of the hill country. But they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. This is an ongoing theme in the book of Judges. Many of your Bibles will have rendered these people as raiders, yes, or thieves. But that is not actually true. That is not actually what the original language is trying to get us to understand. It is describing them as lawless. Do you hear me? Lawless. Now, in our missional understanding, we can think about God's law and those who do not know God's law. Do you see where I'm going? And here what was happening is that those who did not know God's law, who were lawless, were attacking the people of God and they were taking things from them. And yes, they had a right to. Okay, It was their land in many respects and they had a right to come in and defend their land. But what they did not understand was that the people of God were here to bring something good, something new, something interesting. And they were there to make the land flourish and prosper. And so that was part of what they did not comprehend. So we read there that the Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And to this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. So this idea that we have of the Israelites coming into the land of Canaan and wiping out everyone before them is actually false. And there's evidence in the Bible as well as in archaeology that they integrated the people who were with them and among them. They integrated them because there were systems within the law of Moses that allowed them to do this. You see, their focus was not on the people who were around them, but instead on making that land flourish to make the grass greener, to make the wheat fields prosper, to make the animals grow in number. This, dear friends, is our mandate also. 
Because the church of Jesus Christ, if all it does is meet on a Sunday morning and make these seats warm for another week, is wasting its time. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be making the grass greener. How do we do that? Through prayer, through faith, through seeking justice. We need to make justice come about. We need to bring God's compassion into the areas and parts of the world where there isn't any. This is part of the work that we need to do. We don't know when the author of Judges puts in this exact line where he says, to this day, the Jebusites live there. But we do believe it is much later on from this period that people added to copies of the book of Judges as they were um, handing them down from generation to generation. And this would become a justification because many of these scribes were there in Jerusalem. And they saw these descendants of foreign nations living among them. And this is a way for them to say, live in peace with them. There is a precedent for this. Now in Judges 2, this is where we get the introduction of the Judges. I, wanna, I want you to just ask yourself for a moment, why is it that there's a whole chapter that takes place before the Judges are actually introduced in the book of Judges? Because you see, God raising up his people cannot come without context. It cannot. Whenever you talk to a missionary, they'll tell you, God put in my heart to go to Sri Lanka, Papua New Guinea, Australia. (laughs) And they'll say, but it took years of prayer, research, dedication before he took me there. God had to prepare the way. And this is why it's only until we get to Judges 2. And why? Because God wanted to save them from the hands of the raiders, the unlawful ones, the ones who did not know the law, know the law sorry, um, at a time when Israel would wander away from other gods and prostitute, to other gods and prostitute themselves and worship them. So this is part of why God would bring up judges. Now, in this season, you call them judges. Later on, they're called what? Prophets. Prophets are meant to do that same job. See, this is important. Because a prophet is a person who foretells and foretells, just like I'm doing right now. As I'm saying to you, the job of the church is to make the grass grow greener. I believe that if the church listens, the grass will be greener. Now, that could be metaphorical. could be literal. (laughs) You never know. But that is part of the job of the preaching, the sharing of the word, the sharing of God's love. And that is something we are all entrusted to do as ministers of God, to share that revelation and speak forth his love and his goodness and his compassion. Whenever the Lord raised the judge among them, he was with the judge, that is the Lord, and he saved them from the hands of the enemies as long as the judge lived. Now, who's that talking about in our missional context? Just put your hand up. Come on. It's talking about all of us. It's talking about all of us. So what is this land that we're talking about here? Oh, I'm sorry. I should have used a different color. My apologies. This is a modern map of, of the land. 
but I put in there the labels of the region. Judah was given a big spate of land. Can you see that? Judah in, uh, in Joshua and in Caleb had faith. They were given a big spate of land. But today's story takes place in the hill country of Ephraim. The same hill country that would have the town of Bethlehem. The same hill country that would be prophesied as being least among the tribes. This is important. I've, I've put in there where the cities of Jerusalem and Jericho are because it's important that we understand that it was Judah who claimed Jerusalem. But it's not in Judah, is it? It's in Ephraim. Sometimes one sows and the other one reaps. Do you hear me? Sometimes the work that is done by one is of benefit to the other. But it's up there in between Bethel and Ramah, in the north of the Ephraim hill country, where a woman sat under a palm and judged Israel. This is really important. It is anachronistic, according to historians, to have a woman leader in this time. And I believe that only God could do that. Now, what is a judge? In the original language, we have this word shafat. It means pronouncement, decree, plead, or execute. And when used as a noun, we, call, we, we translate it as judge. It has this notion of something that is said, and then when that thing is said, it becomes concrete. Do you understand what I'm getting at? In the beginning was the? It was said and it was concrete. God spoke and created in the book of Genesis. There is a theme here. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, when we get to the Septuagint in the third, 300 years before Christ, the word, that, the word suddenly changes. Judge is suddenly a critic. Do you see it? Critis. It's a critic. It's someone who looks and goes, something's not quite right there. I don't like the way how that is. Now, this almost speaks to the change that was happening in Israel in those two periods. Where in the Old Testament, these judges were meant to be standing there and go, I'm not speaking the words that I know. I'm listening to God and I'm speaking forth. And this is what's happening. That's why Deborah could say to Barak, because you did not go on your own. God is going to give this into the hands of others. And it would be two women who would be the ones who would be given that victory. In the time of Jesus, or just before the time of Jesus, the common translation now suddenly changes this into an arbiter. Someone who is standing on their own laurels of judgment. This is from the, the Greek sophistic traditions. And if you want to talk to me about that later on, I'd love to talk to you about it. That's what my master's thesis is all about. <laughs> But it's really fascinating to me because this change is subtle but powerful. Subtle but powerful. Because the Pharisees saw themselves as the judges of Israel. Did Jesus stand with them? No, Jesus would not judge. But he did exactly what the Old Testament judges were meant to do. The Shaphat. He would pronounce. He would declare. And miracles would come about. He would stand in 
justice for those who were without justice. So this is important because I don't want us to read with our 21st century mentality the book of Judges. I want for us to read about it and hear the voice of God and experience and understand what he was saying at that time and how it spoke to the, the people, especially in the time of Jesus. Going back to our reading. Excuse me. Barak said to her, if you go with, her, with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Was he afraid? No. He wanted God's blessing to go with him. I've read a bunch of commentators on this and they've all said the same thing. There was no reason for Barak to be afraid. He knew what he was doing. But he lacked confidence in God's word being spoken over him. So he take, took this person that personified God's word. And he's like, you got to come with me. Because I've got to have that assurance. Friends, this is so true of us in this day and age. Someone's doing a naughty thing. (laughs) God bless them. And we need to remember that we, when we go out in the community, we have to be bold. This reminds me of the many instances where church members have come to me and they've said, you know, I I was talking to this this friend of mine. um, Just trying to remember the incident. He, He had lost a loved one and it really caused him to question salvation and this not young man who's a little bit older than me he he had been a churchgoer all his life his wife was the daughter of a minister and he said and and i just could not explain to him salvation and i said to him mate i get where you're coming from because he wanted me to go and talk to this gentleman i said to him i get where you're coming from But I think the answer is, do you know your salvation? Do you have the assurance of salvation in your life? And he said, yes, I do. Of course I do. And I said, just tell him about that. Let him hear from your words, from your understanding, from from the way how it's impacted your life. You come to church every single Sunday. You hear his word. You understand it and you know it. You can have confidence in that. And he said, all right. Up until that moment, he had been convinced the only way that this person could be helped is if a a priest or a minister or or someone with a rev or a title in front of their name could come and talk to him. But no, I was convinced and sure that this man needed to go and actually speak out of his own truth and out of his own conviction. And guess what happened the next week? That fellow came to church. Now, I still had the opportunity to have that chat with him. Don't get me wrong. But it was so great. That my friend, my member of my congregation, had developed the, the, the confidence and the understanding to go, oh, actually, you know what? I know this. I've got this. And friends, sometimes we need to remember that. <clears throat> the 
Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. And if you want to read more of the story, you are welcome to read that in the book of Judges. But today we're going to skip through because after the battle, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and there was a woman, Jael. She went to meet him. Come, she said, and I will show you the man you are looking for. And so he went in with her and there he lay with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. What I'm sharing with you here is that there was an unexpected third party involved in this. And that is so true in what happens when we go to claim the ground for the Lord. We don't know who has been there tilling the soil beforehand. We don't know who has been there sowing the seed. Sometimes we are the ones who reap. Sometimes we're the ones with the pocket full of dry seed. We don't know. But the passage ends saying that it was God who subdued. Not Jael, not Barak, not Deborah. And this is what we need to understand. You see, friends, it is not because we are not good enough or because we are not confident enough. It is because God has to come and do his will and outwork his will in these spaces. And that is what is so crucial and so important. I wish I had more time to unpack that. Unfortunately, we are plumb out. But dear friends, I want to encourage you in the reality that God is at work in your lives. And that God, in his outworking in your lives, in our lives, in my ministry, in your ministry, in our shared ministry as believers here today. He is the one who overcomes the obstacles before us. He is the one who leads us. And who, it is his words, his love and his compassion that we want to express before the community around us. In the book of Ephesians, Paul describes how Christ called the church to be in account of its unity in sharing the gospel. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I don't know, I don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know how well you can see this image behind me. It's two mountain climbers and they've reached the summit. One is rejoicing because he's standing at the top and the other one is looking up to him. I saw this image and I thought, there are better ways of expressing what I want to express. But this one really hit home for me. So often we are standing on a lower level, looking up at someone who's achieved a great thing, going, yay, without realizing we're within meters of standing on that mountaintop ourselves. I hope this is an encouragement for you as well. We are in a shared ministry. In the Uniting Church, we believe in the ministry of all believers. Whether you're new in the faith, young, whether you're more mature, whether you've been trained or not trained, it is faith. And it is that confidence in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ that leads us and that helps us to speak his truth, speak words of justice, and share his compassion and his love.
someone is in need of prayer indeed. Let's conclude our time together there, my friends. Let us pray. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us. Continue to guide us and lead us. Give us the confidence to share your word. Father God, we pray for our whole community. We have heard today, Father God, police sirens going around. Lord, we pray for all those who are in distress and in difficulty at this time. We pray for those who have done the wrong thing and where police need to intervene. We ask you, Father God, that you bring about peace and justice in our local area. Equip us, Father God, for the sharing of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.